Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, another episode of Atlanta Business Radio, and these are my favorite. These are the ATDC radio shows that we do here in Midtown at ATDC HQ. Well, this whole line of business of interviewing business people beats the heck out of working, but my favorite part of it is coming down and doing these on-site broadcasts. This is going to be a lot of fun. We've got a studio full. We've got a day full of broadcasting that we're going to be doing here from ATDC. First up on our episode one today, please join me in welcoming to the broadcast, co-founder and COO with Sorter.ai, Mr. Will Allred. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Well, well. before we get too far into things, tell us about Sorter. How are you serving folks? Yeah. Uh, so Sorter, the main idea is we're building a neuromarketing platform for digital teams. Uh, historically, neuromarketing has been the use of EEGs, fMRIs to understand brain activity for the purpose of marketers. Um, that's when you really, say historically, how mm-hmm. historic are we going back? Uh, early 2000s. <laughs> early uh, 2000s is the beginning of the history yeah. of the neuromarketing? Uh, neuromarketing was actually born here in Atlanta mm-hmm. um, with the neuroscience department at Emory. And then what did it entail back then? Yeah, so back then, uh, it was a case study uh, looking at Coca-Cola versus Pepsi and a blind taste test. So they had people within an fMRI machine uh, drink both beverages without the logo and then with the logo. And what you saw was, um, this is an unpopular thing to hear in Atlanta, <laughs> that people actually preferred the Pepsi. Right. And then when you put that red logo in front of people's faces, uh, the brain activity actually flipped. And you saw the power of the brand uh, in that exact moment. And then, so then they preferred Coke when they saw red. Exactly. When they saw the, the cursive writing, the red logo, they loved Coca-Cola again. Even though that when it was... Nothing changed tell. other than the logo. Now, um, when I was going to school, there was a story, I don't know if it was true, that with a blind taste test, people couldn't tell the difference between like Coke and Sprite. Like, like dramatically yeah. the beverages didn't really they couldn't discern no and that's the byproduct of great packaging great branding and great <laughs> so marketers. that's true that wasn't just a urban legend i would not be surprised <laughs> um so that kind of testing works really well for a, a one-to-many experiment think mm-hmm. uh, uh like a Super Bowl campaign, you'll see a lot of, um, or at least I do just because I swim in these circles, a lot of testing done around Super Bowl ads where they'll have people strapped into an EEG and they look to see indicators of engagement levels within something like a, a really expensive TV spot. That's great, but it doesn't scale out for a digital marketer where you've got uh, multiple iterations of any sort of experience, email. You think about the amount of segmentations that go into an email campaign. Uh, the ability to tailor that into how someone's thinking is uh, it can't be done through an EEG. I can't afford to put an EEG on everyone within my marketing right. list. So what we're doing is we're using personality science to scale up that ability to understand how someone thinks. We view personality as patterns in how someone thinks and behaves. And by using personality science, we can segment a list by our expected understanding of how someone's going to think through a buying decision. 
And then we can recommend marketing actions for things like email campaigns in a way that scales, in a way that's psychologically resonant. So now, is there um, a correlation between, like you, well, you did the blind taste test and they said, I like this over that, but that wouldn't impact the buying decision, even though your data would say, oh, they like the flavor of Pepsi better. When it came down to buying it, they were buying Coke. Right, and the way the, the, the way branding. we're the way we're scaling neuromarketing is a little different. So, we're looking at it from the subject matter, the coloring of imagery. Are you going to use a more active call to action button versus a more passive call to action button? Is it learn more or is it try now? Um, is the language that you're using is it uh, more long form? Uh, is it a little more? But does that data change? Like, okay, so like, say you say. Which one works better? You probably know. Is it learn more or try now? It depends on who you're talking to, right? So because does it depend? So there's not a universal, okay, do this and you'll be right 70% right. of the time. Exactly. And this is the um, it's the holy grail for marketers, right? It's to know how someone's going to think about um, what it is that they're receiving. You know, we, we put rapid iterations out into the market all the time and we try to optimize based on behaviors. Uh, but we don't necessarily have a data-backed reasoning for why we're putting it out the way we're putting it out. And what we're offering to marketers right now with our audience analytics tool is an ability to understand this group in your audience is going to respond better with uh, cooler hues, uh, more natural imagery, um, you know, use more passive language, even though it might not be as grammatically desirable, it's going to create a more delightful experience for that individual. And then you can see that ultimately they're buying more. Right. It's uh, it's not necessarily just about the conversions. We view the conversions as a byproduct. It's about creating a better experience with that brand, which in turn will create a longer lifetime value of that customer. So that's the thesis. Has that been proven? Uh, so we've run mm -hmm. some early experiments. Uh, it's a little too early to jump mm -hmm. into uh, necessarily scientific backed mm -hmm. results, but um, what we're looking at right now in our early in our early taste tests or early taste tests, mm -hmm. our early uh, studies is a forty percent lift. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so like, what type of companies does this work best for? So, um, like e-commerce. That that's actually exactly where we're targeting um, e-commerce. And then, so you have some betas out there now. Like, what stage are you at? Yeah. So right now, we're enrolling companies to. Um, join in our pilots. So we've got a pretty dense pipeline right now of companies that are excited about this. And sure, because so, everybody's looking for any edge. Uh, well, it, that, you are speaking exactly out of our sales playbook, which is you are looking for an edge and you're trying to understand your audience, right? Um, and so this resonates when we go talk to people. Um, so it, it, it's been exciting. Um, right now it's about sitting down with the marketing teams and getting those things into action. Now, what about for your own work, like on your website when you're recruiting new people? Are you implementing all your, you know, are you eating your own cooking? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it's funny you say that. We were actually just talking about that this morning. Um, how can we be better about more static landing pages and things, um, uh, more static web presences where we don't necessarily... <laughs> uh, in that moment, know the psychology of the user. How do we speak to all, um, types of uh, decision makers. You know, are these people action oriented? Are these people process oriented? Or well, don't you have to have different landing pages for each of those personas? Ideally, right? Um, and so that's uh, something that we're working on internally. 
So now um, you landed on this kind of. I, I will say you will notice on our site we use uh, highly saturated blues, so cooler hued colors. Uh, there's a psychological reason for why we that do wasn't that. an accident. That's not an accident. <laughs> so now um, making predictions based on personality. How did you come up with that plan? Uh, so it actually, my co-founder was working on a, another business at the time. And he was looking at um, his customer profile. He was talking to people who fit the same demographics, the, the same size look of a school, but he would hear different things from them. He would hear, I want to be the first person to use this versus who's used this before. It's the, the classic trying to go to market dilemma of how do I find this person who's going to be open to my new product? Well, the early adopter is a smaller percentage, but they are the ones that will take more risk and try new things. Right. And there's actually a personality trait known as openness that we can measure for and we can use within our segmentation models. So, you know, I know if I'm sending advertisements to someone, if they score higher for openness, if they score higher for extroversion and they score lower for neuroticism, they're much more likely to be open to my new communication than uh, someone who would score the opposite in those categories. So now what clues are you using that they have those personalities? Uh, are you asking how do we process an individual? Right. Uh, well, I mean, the, the simple answer, it's math. Uh, but there are certain behavioral traits or there are certain activities they're doing or certain clues you're using to discern. Right. Um, I, I think the, the easiest way to describe it is yeah, we're using biographical. So, so you go to their LinkedIn? Demographic information is a part of that. Um, we're looking at social information, and we're looking at um, demographics. Um, so those are all interesting things to us. And uh, the, the simplest way I've, I've found to describe it is think about the things that you're interested in. If we can have an understanding of what you're interested in, we can start to get a clue at who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. So now uh, for you, when you go to market, like, okay, so I, I sign up for this thing. I, what, what happens now? So you have to kind of at some point analyze my audience or who I think my audience is? Yep, that's step one of our onboarding process is to upload your customer list and then... So you start with my existing customers. Exactly. Um, so, so now in your case, if you were to do this for yourself, you don't have a lot of existing customers. How would you do a startup with it? don't really have a clear vision of who their customers yet. Yes, and this is a bit into product <laughs> development, uh, trying to eat our own dog food, right? Um, so we're looking at it from how do we use the same learnings from how we process an individual customer list to go out into market and find new customers. Um, right. So you can extrapolate how that would work, but it's um, uh, essentially, we're looking at the things that we know will attract the right people, and that's you know experimental marketers who want to do something new and gain that edge. So now, uh, for you, uh, how much of your work are you partnering with universities and studies and getting kind of smart people involved in this yep. too, or are you got enough smart people? Yeah, I'm I'm no neuroscientist, <laughs> right? Um, and so we we recognize that very early on. And so something we were very adamant about was creating really strong ties with the academic community. Now, nothing's set in stone yet, so I can't talk into any specifics, but you know, we view this as a cornerstone for our brand. Um, you know, there's 
plenty of marketers selling other marketing things to other marketers. Right, but um, you're the neuro marketing we're, folks. We're trying to serve <laughs> as the bridge between the scientific community. Right. Yeah, you know, we got our inspiration from what they were doing. Right. And so we want to help continue to foster their work. And then we also want to help serve as a bridge between them and the scientific community so that marketers can use science and not necessarily. Now, how do the neuroscientists feel about this? Is this the dark side to them to help people sell more stuff or do they want to do <coughs> more kind of <laughs> philosophically large missions and monuments? That, or is that what they're trying to build? Uh, it depends on who you're talking to, right? Um, but I, I think ethics are definitely a core piece of the conversation. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm certainly not blind to that. <laughs> but And that's part of your profile, right? You got to find the neuro uh, science folks that are okay with capitalism selling stuff. Yeah. I, and I haven't found any neuroscientists who are like, this is dark and scary, right? If you think about the nature of what marketing is, you're trying to influence behavior. Right. You're trying to persuade someone. Right. And if you're going about it smarter than your peer, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. It's just about making sure that you get the information to make those decisions in a well-justified way. So now who are the uh, academics that are kind of on the Mount Rushmore of neuroscience? Um, <laughs> uh, so that's uh, kind of back to my mm -hmm. point where I can't really talk too much about it yet just because right. of conversations we're having. But you could look at institutions uh, like Emory. You could look at institutions like Georgia Tech or Kennesaw State here in town. Um, you could that are also doing interesting work in that space. Very interesting. Yes. Um, you could also look at uh, Columbia University mm -hmm. is another um, group that's done some interesting work in the space. Uh, a, an author I read a lot is I think his name's Cialdini, who's done work in persuasion. Is mm -hmm. that is that kind of behavioral science? Is that a splinter of neuroscience, or is that not related? The behavioral science thinking like behavioral economics. Right. Uh, it's a really interesting area that we aren't exploring right now. We understand that it's going to have a lot of implications in our recommendation systems. And so it's something that we are looking into going forward. So you're focusing primarily on the actual neuroscience uh, that are people studying the brain. Yeah, particularly not behaviors. Cognitive social science and neuroscience have been our two main focuses from an algorithmic understanding as well as a, from a neuro understanding. Mm hmm. So what do you need more of right now? Uh, right now, it's yeah, more demand. Uh, I think that you can't so you ever... need more people doing this beta? You can never get enough. Um, I, I think you know, if we get more people, more people excited about this idea of actually speaking to people the way they want to be spoken to, it helps us accelerate our processes internally. Now, what about funding? Are you good funding-wise? Are you looking for more funding? For the moment, we're okay. Um, but that's something that... Yeah, I, I talk about stoking demand that that gets into the conversation about later this year. Mm -hmm. And then, how has your experience been with ATDC? I, I love it. Um, yeah, I I had known Jackie Chu for a while, and so um, when we reconnected when I was starting Sorter, yeah, you know, she was like, "Why aren't you in ATDC?" And I was like, "I don't know. Why am I not in ATDC?" Were uh, you somewhere else? Uh, so we office out of Atlanta Tech Village, uh -huh. which is a great place to be. Um, but I, I've loved being involved in the ATDC community. Well, um, you're now getting the best of both worlds. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so now, um, so you have a mentor here? Like, what's your relationship? Where are you at now? What stage are you at at ATDC? Yeah, we're an Accelerate company here. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got a really close relationship with Michael Sangbush as well as Jackie Chu. Um, 
Yeah, Michael's also doing a great marketing technology startup, um, and so he's been an awesome mentor to us. And then what's your favorite part of the kind of this ecosystem here? Is it the mentors or is it the kind of the accidental meetings with people that might be like-minded or philosophically aligned? There's a few things. Uh, I think the connection to Georgia Tech is amazing. Uh, I think the education programs are really well thought out. Uh, and I think the openness to get together and talk about our ideas is um, it's really good. I think it's a good thing for the city of Atlanta, and I think it's a good thing for the startup community in general. So if somebody wanted to learn more, have a more substantive conversation with you, or learn more about Sorter, uh, what's the coordinates? Yeah, um, so they can always look at our website, um, or they can go to our Instagram. So we've turned our Instagram into sort of an introductory slide deck to what we're trying to build at Sorter and where we are now. Um, so you can go to at Sorter Labs on Instagram, and you can learn more about us. Good stuff. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Well, keep up the good work, man, and check back in with us when we come back out, yeah? <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, it's a very exciting time for you, and we look forward to following your story. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you guys having me on today. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Hey, stay with us. We're going to visit with a couple more folks. Okay. All right, Lee, please join me in welcoming next up on ATDC Radio today, CEO with haste, Miss Lynn Perry. Good morning. Good morning. So what'd you learn in that last segment? I learned that I need to be a, we need to be a customer and we need to talk after this, Jason. <laughs> there <laughs> so, you go. Perfect. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and we get 5% on top Just, of all deals in the room. You know that, right? No problem. <laughs> they didn't mention that. <laughs> all right, Lynn, tell us about Haste. How are you serving folks? Sure. So Haste uh, optimizes the internet for real-time experiences. Today we're focused on gaming. Uh, so if anybody in the room or your kids or somebody you know loves to play Fortnite, League of Legends, PUBG, any of these uh, cloud gaming, uh, cloud games, uh, Haste optimizes the internet connection for that. So uh, lag, jitter, so fluctuation in the experience of lag and the gaming uh, and packet loss uh, experiences where where packets drop, uh, all are uh, in, inherent in some of these cloud gaming uh, experiences. Anytime uh, you have somebody, you know, you're shooting, you're dodging a blow, something like that. Um, while the games are extremely beautiful and, and technical, uh, they're subject to the best effort routing of the public internet, and Haste solves for that. And then you're solving for me individually at my home or wherever I'm playing the game? That's right. And then, so what does it require of me to use Haste? So for you, you need to, uh, so today we support PC gaming. Uh, so you would go to our website, haste.net. You would download, uh, you would sign up for the trial. You download a client, so it's a small Windows application that sits on your PC. And once you log in, um, you don't have to do anything else with Haste, which is one of the differentiators, but you log in you know, close it and it's running in the background. And then you you play the games that you play, uh, the games that we support. Uh, today we support 25 of the most popular games. So you might open up, you know, Apex Legends, uh, start playing the game and Haste will sort of pop up in the bottom right-hand corner and say, hey, we recognize you're playing this game. Uh, and then then we take it from there and a bunch of technical magic happens. But that's that's all the, you have to do. So I just, So you're in the bottom corner and I just ignore you. You right? ignore you're doing your work yeah. without me having to do anything else. That's absolutely right. You don't have to tell us which game you're playing. You don't have to choose your server, do anything like that. Haste is uh, intelligent. Um, so essentially what we're doing, even when you're not playing, is we're 
uh, we're installed on hundreds of thousands of, of machines uh, all over the world. So we're, we support North America, Northern Latin America, Europe, Middle East, uh, and we have customers even beyond these places that we name that we support. And we're constantly looking at the latency uh, and the quality of connection between all of the nodes, all of those PCs in our network, and how they, uh, the latency between them and all of the other points of presence on our network. And so we're able to know, you know, when you spin up Apex Legends in this example, okay, you're, you're where you are at your IP address, and we're going to then take over that traffic and only that traffic and multipath it uh, across our network uh, to the game server, reassemble those packets from all of the paths together, send it to the game server, and then do the whole thing, <laughs> do, do the same thing on the way back so that you uh, you have a better gaming experience. And then how noticeable is it for me? Is yeah. it like dramatic where it's like, oh, where have you been all my life? Or is it like kind of a little bit? Absolutely. It, so it depends on your, um, it depends on where you are and where you're playing a game and maybe some of your sensitivity to, uh, to these things. So certainly uh, more frequent avid players, uh, you know, esports e enthusiasts, pro type gamers, are even more sensitive, but yeah, absolutely. We, um, you can feel the difference, not only in the latency, uh, but especially in that that jitter, which is uh, you know the fluctuation in in the latency of the game, which is critical. Because even if you think, you know, even if you have a pretty low ping, you know, as as it's called, if you have a pretty low ping, but that keeps changing, it becomes difficult to uh, to play reliably you know, right. in the game. So. Uh, now, does yep. it matter if, like, say I'm playing in my house and, say, my kid's playing and, um, you know, my wife's streaming Netflix and I'm doing other things and there's a lot of Internet usage going on at that time. Are you able to help in that area? Yeah, we uh, particularly, I mean, if you're on Wi-Fi, that's going to be generally considered not ideal to play on Wi-Fi because we look at breaking up those legs and where can haste make an impact. Right. Uh, so as soon as we can take over that traffic, we we make a big difference. But if there's something happening that's competing with that, then that causes problems. Yeah. Prior to jumping on the network, it's it's possible that you know something else. If you're on Wi-Fi, is going to right. uh, create uh, congestion before haste is able to take over your traffic. But most gaming happens not on Wi-Fi. It yeah, it varies. It, uh -huh. Yeah. And you do best when it's not on Wi-Fi, or it doesn't matter. You'll see the total quality. We we still provide the same level of lift, uh, but if you're on Wi-Fi, uh, there's just there's a risk that in that first leg from the device to the home router, uh, the performance is poor, so it may be harder to detect the lift. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you uh, part of your service though is to recommend best practices for the individual to get the the fastest speeds? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have, you know, we include content like that in our nurtures and on our website uh, and try to, you know, remind people in social without becoming stale. But gamers are also, um, they're often very savvy, you know, and if they found haste, uh, they, you know, they're, they're, you know, competitive gamers, they want the best experience. And, uh, and, you know, lots of lots of information out there, but gaming is, is, uh, you know, taking up more of, of folks' time for uh, for entertainment, more share of wallet, so they're more serious about a better experience. So now, uh, share a little bit about the size of the market. Is this, uh, like, how many gamers are out there and how many gamers are the ones that are kind of these heavy users? Sure. Oh, um, so, I mean, the, the size of the market, there's a, 
a sort of widely quoted number of about $128 billion spent globally on gaming, I think by 2020. Uh, so, so it's huge. Now that's going to include, um, you know, everything from esports sponsorships and things like that, all the way down to money spent on console gaming or perhaps consoles. Um, but there are, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it, so gamers are predominantly older than we uh, might have thought before. When you might picture the teenager in the basement kind of thing. Uh, so, an average in the low 30s. Um, more uh, female uh, than maybe previously thought. So I think it's about 40% of gamers, particularly PC gamers, uh, and game time spent on PC gaming is, is female, uh, played by females. And then um, each, uh, it's about 50% of houses have a serious gamer, households have a serious gamer in the household in the U.S. And then once, like, how? what's the kind of line between the casual and the serious? Uh, I mean, you could you could draw the line by hours spent gaming. Uh, you could draw the line by you know Twitch streaming. Are they not only playing, but are they educating themselves? Are they you know watching other people play games? Um, you know, it, it it really varies. But for us, we are we're focused beyond the you know the quote unquote serious gamer who might be playing uh, you know ten plus hours a week to gamers that just you know flat out want a great experience. And it's particularly important as you see. Um, the popularity of games like uh, Apex Legends, like PUBG, like Fortnite, that are these battle royale style games where you've got shooting and dodging and moving of, you know, 100 people or so coming in to fight to the death. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's competitive. Now, how did you get into this line of work? Sure. So I joined Haste in May of 2018. So just about a year ago. Haste graduated from Techstars uh, a little over three years ago. Um, so I took over from the original CEO. Uh, he's actually still with us. He was the co-founder along with one of our engineers who's here in the Atlanta office. Uh, that CEO uh, lives in Baltimore. And so traveling week to week here wasn't uh, you know, going to be a reality to continue to do. So he's able to stay on and focus on alliances and some strategy things where I can be in the office um, on a regular basis. And I had worked for uh, a couple of our investors at a couple other startups within Atlanta. And uh, I'm a first-time CEO, so first time running a business like this. Um, but I think it worked out you know, pretty well because I've worn lots of different hats and you know, both startups and, and large business. And uh, here it's a nice place for it all to come together. Is your background uh, technical or more sales and marketing is it typically sales and marketing titles in technical space so i you know worked in cloud computing typically b2b a lot of channel which has become important for haste we're a consumer product today um but we so all of our revenue comes from consumers that are signing up directly with haste but we have uh, made our product channel ready and we've signed a partnership with the ericsson uh, edge gravity team so we have a formal partnership with ericsson where together we are powering a gaming tier of service for uh, internet service providers. So that's the background in, in sort of the B2B and channel world has been uh, you know really helpful for that. So now how do you go about building a partnership like that? Because that's kind of a unique way to approach the market. Yep, sure. Um, so we, you know, Ericsson started this network they, they call UDN. Now it's a wholly owned subsidiary called Edge Gravity, the UDN network. And we were introduced actually before I joined Haste. I think it was actually through the ATDC that the former CEO met the guy that was building this business within Ericsson. And they are an edge compute 
uh, network that matches up really well with haste from a technical perspective because our our network our points of presence uh, all over the world or at least the areas that we support that essentially relay this traffic uh, rewiring the internet uh, bypassing BGP protocol and you know creating our own uh, fast pathways so anyway partnering with Ericsson who have built this low latency, global backbone connected by points of presence all over the world was a great match. So uh, came together that way, and they were looking for partnerships to bring onto their network to offer to their internet service provider customers, uh, you know, uh, other opportunities for the top revenue to offer to their customers, to their subscribers. And did ATDC help facilitate that uh, relationship, or they just met? Randomly, I think they just met randomly. I, I this was probably about three months before my time, so it mm-hmm. was an early, you know. I, I think it was a meetup here, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was early. But it, you know, we we over the second half of last year built up the partnership, what the agreements would look like, and uh, and then started speaking with service providers in North America, Europe, some in Latin America uh, about gaming and their strategy strategies in the space. So now, uh, what do you like most about the ATDC relationship that you guys have? Oh, I mean, it's it's fantastic. I didn't, you know, coming in, I didn't anticipate the level of support. I, I was thinking about Haste and, you know, my next career move and who's working there and all that stuff. But coming in and working with guys like Frank and, and John, uh, who, you know, Frank T. and John uh, Avery, who lead the group here, um, it, it, you know, great mentorship, supportive environment. You know, there's a guy that if you're here, you know, Aubrey, he keep, right. <laughs> keeps us all smiling. Um, and then there's some other great resources around our EIRs, but especially the, um, you know, it's been nice for me, especially as a first time CEO, just, you know, spending time with the other CEOs here and other business leaders to, uh, you know, share envi- stories. informal yeah. manner where you can just kind of pop in and ask someone a question. Absolutely. And everybody is here to help each other out. Um, it's a beautiful space. And uh, it's it's just a really nurturing environment to you know to be in a startup. You know, a couple other startups I've done were fantastic, but you you know it wasn't quite the level of uh, the office space in those early days, and um, where you could feel like you could walk down the hall and just grab a coffee with someone or or get uh, you know really useful uh, you know advice and, and and talk with other leaders. So it's fantastic. What about a talent pipeline? Yeah, it's great. I mean, we are. Um, you know, particularly the ability to tap into the the Georgia Tech uh, network of of uh, you know interns, and we, we haven't actually brought one on yet, but we're going to be participating uh, in in some fairs that they have coming up. But yeah, I mean it's 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 abundant. I, there, there's really sometimes it's hard to think of things to add, you know to feedback to give John Avery, who's always asking for feedback on you know how they can make this more and more valuable, and it's uh, it's just a it's it's the perfect place as an entrepreneur and a group of entrepreneurs to be. Uh, yeah. Now you were in technology. Were you in gaming before? Were you a gamer? I was not in gaming. <laughs> I was not a gamer, and I do my best today. Uh, but so I, I when I came in, I you know I work with you know we're it's everybody's an engineer, everybody's a gamer except for me. I mean I can get by uh, technically, but. You know, my last experience with gaming, I think, was uh, Duck Hunt or Super Mario <laughs> Brothers or something. So, um, so I would, uh, we all, you know, they all play games on at the end of our sprints every mm-hmm. other Friday it's as like a Friday happy hour thing. And I mostly just watch YouTube videos for noobs, right. as I'm called in the space. So I, I am, I, I have my homework to do, but 
but, but I can hang a little bit. So, but yeah. does that give you kind of fresh eyes into the space and you see things maybe they don't see because they're so immersed in it? I think that that's been really helpful. Absolutely. And part of the one of the hats I wear is, you know, a, a product leader. Uh, and so uh, it, it is important to contribute to the roadmap uh, and, and lead that in a way that has, a, you know, maybe a bigger business sense beyond uh, just what the experience might be for gamers, or I can help them think in ways that will help us understand how do we how do we build features and, and and enable the product to maximize the experience for more and more gamers. So yeah, it's been absolutely helpful. And then, but is it a challenge that since your product is more for the hardcore super users, that's not you, that it's hard to kind of have empathy and to learn and understand really what they're kind of trying to get out of it or what could most benefit them? Not at this point. I mean, our, our product helps the average gamer. Uh, it absolutely does. There's Our product helps the average gamer, and I've been able to spend time. I mean, we have pretty deep analytics on the lift that Haste provides for every single gamer, their jitter, their packet loss, their latency, all over the world every single session. So I spend so much time um, with our engineers in that data optimizing the product that we've created that um, it is true that I, I don't, you know, I, I don't wake up in the morning thinking I didn't before I came to Hayes thinking about how to solve for right. a better gaming experience. But who hasn't had a crappy experience online, whether it's, you know, right, something buffering, <laughs> exactly. voice over IP, right. uh, all of that. And really, that's what we're solving today. It's gaming. Gaming is natural. Huge space. So uh, you can fa- yeah. fix video conferencing. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's not our space today, but uh, no, it absolutely, you know, the haste, the the patent. Uh, so we, we have um, a couple of patents in process, but the patent that's already been uh, uh, approved and uh, for us is um, is not gaming specific. It has to do with our networking and uh, endpoint uh, handling and, and all of that. So it's so, the, the so vision the is beyond gaming. Yeah. It's well beyond gaming because there's a lot of people. That the, have a lot of needs. Oh, absolutely. The, the technology, yeah, is our annoying. our opportunity and our technology go well beyond gaming. Um, hey, we're a, we're an ATDC signature uh, startup, or maybe a, a couple steps past startup phase, depending on how you look at it. But um, that's that's part of what we work on is having the vision for the future, but at the same time executing right now with the resources that we have. And what do you need more of? Uh, you know, I need more of, I think we're, we're right about to hit an accelerator on um, things like marketing. Right now we do zero marketing. Uh, we have one person who sort of half the time does some marketing. And, uh, and I have a marketing background, but I can't spend enough time on it. Um, we don't have a, a dedic- dedicated sales. And so some of the other structure, we've been so heavily focused on engineers uh, and we'll continue to add to our engineering team. But I think that over the last few years, We've refined the way that we measure how our our uh, system works and optimize where our points of presence are and how we gather all of this data. That at this point, uh, what I need more of is uh, yeah, it's hiring, uh, and that's so that's what we're in the process of doing. And now investing in some marketing and sales. Yeah, light. I mean, we will not prop. We will not do. Um, we'll do a little bit of, uh, of influencer stuff and we, we've done some influencer marketing before, but we're really focused on enabling the channel that I mentioned, the Ericsson channel. Um, and then also, uh, providing more information on our data. So we have, for me, interesting insights on the performance of service providers, uh, for games. So, you know, who's your internet provider? And even though you may have the, the best package that they offer, 
they're only able to optimize your traffic within their footprint. And there's there's peering set up, but essentially it's a best effort to get your packets all the way from your home uh, to a game server, which is likely not on your network and back. Um, so there's some, you know, beyond gaming, uh, just the networking information that comes out of that is really rich. And I think we we have so much information. The next step for us, uh, content-wise, is to reflect that back out in, uh, in into interesting views and share that. Well, if somebody wanted to learn more, have more substantive conversation, what's the best way to, to find you guys? Uh, w, uh, haste.net is our website. I'm lynn at haste.net. Or come by the ATDC. Well, Lynn, thanks so much for sharing your story. And we look forward to keeping up with it. And I personally look forward to you applying your magic to me doing interviews over the phone. So <laughs> if that ever comes we'll to pass. put that on the, uh, on the roadmap. <laughs> put that on the short list for us, will you? Uh, hey, stay with us. we got one more guest we're going to visit with. Yeah? Uh, Lee, I think we owe guest number three an apology. I'm sorry that you have to follow these two. Uh, they both did a fantastic job. Very inspiring, intriguing stories. But uh, you know what? I have faith in you, man. I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna bring it home for us. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast co-founder with Yards, Yards with a Z, Mr. Jason Perez. How you doing, man? Very well. Well, first, I just want to thank you guys for allowing us to to be a guest on your show. And I say us because Yards is is a family and. Um, our users and and uh, customers are are all part of us, you know. So, so we appreciate us, it. Well, we appreciate you saying that. And uh, tell us about Yards. What are you guys doing for folks? Yeah, so we're we're solving an industry problem, right? Very um, widespread problem within the construction industry when it comes to equipment rental. So the current process is antiquated, and f- the best way to kind of relate it is if you went back thirty years back when you know you would travel across country or you went on a business trip you would get on a phone book and you would figure out who you're going to call for a hotel room or a car rental or whatever it was and you would just have to write them down and figure out you know where you're going to get the best price where you're going to stay what you're going to rent right um oddly enough the construction industry has not solved the problem of renting equipment until yards came along right so the way that people rent equipment right now, if they wanted to compare rates, they would call their sales guy and hopefully they get a hold of them. Maybe they get the voicemail um, or they'll send an email or a text or whatever it might be. And now they have three to five different sources and what they're trying to pull rates from and figure out, you know, who they're going to book with or whether or not it's even available. So, you know, it's it's a long, drawn out process to figure that out. And believe it or not, there's not a solution out there. To, to automate or to facilitate that process. So we came along and we launched and we said, how do we figure out how to um, how to solve that problem and really make it relevant to the users? And so our system is a turnkey system and it's a rental management software. Uh, we've kind of coined that term in the industry and our users go on, they set up their account They can load their salespeople because relationships are still important in the construction industry. Um, They don't want to necessarily get drawn out to other people and other places and other companies. They want to deal with the people they normally deal with. So they load it up. They're able to pull out, um, uh, put quote requests in there. We aggregate the information for them. They see side-by-side comparisons, and they book it, track it to the projects, get alerts to make sure they're not leaving it on site and – and they're seeing 20 to 30% savings on the front end. 
And then, you know, savings on the tail end because it's not just sitting racking up, you know, the, the, the cost. The fees. Absolutely. So now uh, when you say construction, what does that mean? Is construction a, a home builder that's building one home or these, you know, commercial builders that are building subdivisions or right. um, office buildings? Like what does construction mean to you guys? Right. So the the companies that typically rent the most amount of equipment are, um, are either site uh, utility type contractors or they're trades contractors, subcontractors that you would see out there, right? So electrical, mechanical, Could it plumbing. be the landscaping person that needs to a piece of equipment? You Abs- know, absolutely. To, absolutely. There, there are plenty. clear a backyard. Yes, they, they can get on. So, you know, when we initially launched, we were um, more of just a quoting process, right? And so this quoting process, it was transactional and people would go on, they would just do the quote, they would get these results. And it, and it really fit into the niche of um, the smaller type customers. But right. what we found very quickly is relationships are such a driving factor that anybody that rented more than two pieces of equipment a month, so these are larger guys, they're typically not one-off you know, um, contractors, that um, our software really fulfilled their needs in providing time savings and, and um, monetary savings, right? So these contractors, Although they might rent one piece of equipment now and then, the reality is most of our users are renting regularly. And at minimum, what we've seen is, you know, two pieces of equipment a month is that threshold where they go, okay, this makes sense. I I can't track anything more than two pieces of equipment. And believe it or not, it sounds like not a lot, right? but people are forgetting. Is it always the same piece, like typically? Like, are they always like, I always need this kind of a piece of equipment or is it like this month I need this and then next month I need something else? Yeah, so we have a a full array. You you can essentially rent anything through our system. We even have a a slot, you know, where you go to do the quote request and you can mark other, right? And you can rent anything from showing boxes, which which isn't equipment, right? Showing boxes are just these metal plates that you put in the ground to make sure the dirt doesn't fall on people. Um, and contractors will typically rent the same thing, like you're saying, um, over and over again. Um, but some contractors rent these things, you know, throughout an array, and it might not even be equipment. So um, they might have suppliers for what we call the, you know, their aerial lifts. You know, they could be reach lifts, they can be man lifts. You know, the the ones that look like accordions that scissor right. up, um, or a boom that goes out. Uh, but they also might be renting a, a reach forklift, right? And then they might have storage containers. They might have porta potties. They might have dumpsters. And so, through our system, you know, typically they would have to either write these things down on a whiteboard, create their own spreadsheet. But don't they have like a dumpster guy? They do. Mm-hmm. So they, they'll have two or three dumpster guys. They might have two or three porta potty guys. They might have two or three um, uh, equipment guys. So now you have three different suppliers and maybe three or nine different platforms that you're trying to track all this information on. And ours kind of works like a CRM if you think about it, right? So you're loading who your suppliers are. You're getting all that information for all the equipment. So if you were to draw, you know, three little circles that overlap, you know, everybody loves these uh, infographic type things, you would have, you know, projects and points of contact in one, you would have all your suppliers in another, and then you'd have all the equipment. And what we do is kind of just overlap that and put it all in one place, organize it for them. They can, you know, track costs. They can see, you know, 
when that equipment's coming up. They get email alerts, they can call it off, they can do maintenance calls. These are all things that they would traditionally have to pick up a phone and they would have to track a PO or they would have to track a contract, call their office, go, hey, where's this at? Who's, you know, where did we rent this piece of equipment at? And the, and the thing is, when you go to a project, you're not gonna have just one supplier providing all that equipment. Right, it'll be different people coming and going. That's and- right. That's right. And you're going to get different rates, right? So you Do might the have rates a, fluctuate. Are those kind of uh, rates for that type of equipment or any of this type of construction equipment? Is it fluid? Like, look, if, if you need a lift, uh, you know, maybe somebody that cuts trees needs lifts to help cut down big trees and storm just went by. There's only so many lifts in the market. The price uh, of lifts might go up. Oh, we, 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 we see that quite a bit. You know, there, there was, uh, the the big storm that came through it's Florida Panhandle and and South Georgia and um and you cannot find a reach lift and so one of our customers who absolutely just you know calls us on a weekly basis saying how much they love using it uh they went down and they said hey we're going in the Panhandle we have a couple projects and we know it's going to be impossible to find a lift and so what they did in this case is um, there's an on and off switch for their suppliers so. If they're going to a new place, you know, and they, they go, well, we don't know who we're going to be able to rent with, they can switch that off, run a quote, and we'll find that piece of equipment for them, right? So we actually had to go out to 16 different contract or 16 different rental companies to find that piece of equipment for them down in that area. It would have taken them eight hours of their day, the whole entire day, right. to figure out how to get that piece of equipment. It took them 15 seconds of putting it in our system. And a couple hours, you know, later, we found it. Because you're making the calls for them. Yeah, our systems, yeah, facilitating. We have points of contact loaded in our system that go right. go out. And so, yeah, it's it's doing, it's facilitating all that for them. And it's finding it for them so that they don't have to do it themselves. Now, is it primarily in this region or, or do you have kind of uh, the whole country? Like, what's your footprint right now? Yeah, so our, our proof of concept and, and where we started essentially uh, with our MVP was here in Atlanta. You know, the, it, Atlanta, most people know this, some some don't, um, is top 10 in equipment rentals in, in the whole U.S., right? Really? Um, There's that much construction going on? That much. I mean, and, and you know. What other markets are have a lot of control? Uh, That's good intel. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, LA's one of them. Seattle's another. What about them. Nashville? Dallas is another one. Seems like a lot of cranes um, in Nashville. So, um, the last figures we have were, was off of I think it was 2016, 2017. Nashville wasn't on that list, but they are probably creeping pretty, pretty close to it. I mm-hmm. would think. Um, you know, the, the Southeast in general. Uh, you know, my background's construction. I've been in the construction industry since I was you know, a kid crawling attics for my dad, you know, I mean, he was an electrician and, and now he works for, uh, I think number three, uh, contractor in the whole U S you know, and, and so we we're kind of a construction family and our co-founder actually is from the equipment rental industry. He was outside sales rep for three of the top 10, uh, rental companies. And so we brought in, you know, construction and equipment rental and married it together and said, what's the most practical solution we can give our users? What, what would, create value, right? Um, uh, so the cool thing about our software, even though we launched here um, in Atlanta, in the Georgia uh, area, you know, we've done rentals in North Carolina and down in Florida and things like that. The reality is um, 
next month we'll be doing a, a kind of a big go-to-market push and, and, and marketing campaign. And part of that, the cool thing in our software is that it's very scalable to anywhere because you're loading like a CRM, your suppliers, those people that you have relationships with and our system just facilitates the process. So it doesn't matter, you know, if, if we can instantly make it convert, right? Translate to any language in the world, essentially people can use it anywhere in the world because you're putting in the data. We don't have, we're not restricted by the supply chain that supply chain is created by our users. And so that that's what's really cool and relevant to to um, to yards. You know, it it's very personalized um, and it's very intuitive and easy for our users to kind of just take plug and play and start to see the sa- savings instantly. So now when a supplier's in the system, are there ways that the supplier can get kind of a more enhanced listing to kind of show off their wares a little bit better and maybe persuade people to choose them over a different supplier? So, so I'm seeing a trend in, in all of our questions. You're always, you're always kind of hitting roadmaps, you know, in the future of, of what we haven't done yet, but we're, we're going to get to. So yes, um, the future of our system uh, provides just as much benefit to the supplier, you know, and the rental companies as it does to the renters, the contractors, right? And so we are, um, getting to the point hopefully by the end of this year we'll be providing some analytics back to our suppliers they'll have their own custom uh, logins and they'll start to see trends of where they're coming in and pricing and so forth because here's the reality you you talked about pricing um, when it comes to you know if if there's a disaster if there's shortages or you know even seasonal the pricing changes but here's the crazy thing neither my co-founder or i would ever have thought um with all the quotes we've done, we're seeing a span between the lowest price and the highest price for the same piece of equipment, same amount of time, about a 30% difference, right? That's that's huge. When we're talking that people rent, you know, up to 15, 20, 100 million a year, that, that's a big difference, right? Um, the, the crazier thing is that if you take the two lowest pricing prices and you look at those, there's typically a span of five to seven and a half percent. The two lowest, I mean, that's how, um, the, what the deviations are in, in the pricing uh, for equipment. So nothing's really standardized in the market. And each one, you know, each company might price a piece of equipment very differently. And that even though it might be the same exact piece of equipment? It, it's same exact piece of equipment. It can be the same make and model. Right. Right. But it's like anything else. I mean, you can you can shop at different places and pay more for the same thing. That's that's right. And the people that decide to not shop are the ones that consistently pay the most, right? And so our recommendation is, look, relationships are really important. That's why we allow you to put your suppliers in there. Um, but it's also probably smart for you to at least have one other, you know, right. in there. And most at this time, availability is such an issue that they really do need two or three because even the big guys are running out of equipment. Right. Now, what about, like, how does the service component fit into it? I mean, the equipment is the equipment, and I understand that the price for that can fluctuate, but maybe the one at the highest price has better customer service. Maybe they stand by it better if something breaks that they come and send the part or they replace it, or I mean, maybe that warrants some of the higher pricing. Absolutely. So they have... You know, what we like to say is we're, we're giving, uh, we're empowering our renters and we're giving them their control back, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
they see that pricing, they see who that pricing is coming from, and they can make that choice. If they want to pick the highest price guy every time, then they get to do that, but they understand at what cost, right? And what they can't do right now is really understand what that cost is. What is that service cost worth? Is it worth 30%? Great. Then then make that choice, right? We're not dictating who they choose. We're just giving them you transparency know, in the pricing. That that's exactly right. We we say um, uh, uh, freedom of choice through transparent transparency. That's what we tell them. Now, um, you mentioned one kind of success story. Do you have any other kind of success stories you can share? Yeah. So so when we first started, um, as any startup, you're going okay. We some people call it the the logo page or whatever right. you want to call it, right? You're, you're trying to get people on, and some of them are, are flagship clients. And we had one that was that was really big, does a lot of big um, work here in Georgia. And we kind of sat down, we did our demo, and you know we were giving a couple people, hey, thirty day free trial type stuff. And on this one, I don't know, I, I must have just been really happy that morning, and and I said, hey, we'll just give it to you for six months for free. And after I walked out, I said, what what did I do? <laughs> I mean, this is this is crazy. Well, they get on, um, they load all their owned equipment because on our software you can also loan uh, load your own equipment, um, and then they start performing some rentals, and they also loaded their rental equipment, and so he sends us an email three weeks after signing up, and says, "Hey, I just feel rotten. I mean, I'm using this software for free. Clearly." It costs you guys money. You're going out marketing, doing all this. Um, we just want to pay for the year because I saved $20,000 in my first month wow. of calling off equipment that we didn't even know that was out there. And this, you know, this contractor has equipment that costs, you know, $12,000 a month. You know, he, he has equipment out there that if it sits forgotten, it's going to, it's, it's big dollars. Right. You know, our software costs him $99 a month. And he's like, I mean, the cost benefit analysis, <laughs> right. it doesn't take a genius, right? Um, this isn't uh, for us neuroscience, although we believe we're giving people. <laughs> Just make it blue. That's, yeah, they, that's they, what I learned. Well, that's one of our colors, you know, and, and we actually were, were told to make it blue. Um, now I'm rethinking the red X that I got. <laughs> really? Well, we got a we got a hint of red in, in our uh, our colors. We're you know we're red, white, and blue, and and I think. You know, we, we come from blue collar families and, and, and we're, you know, resonating with blue collar workers, you right. know, and, and that's the reality. We, we're solving. It's not, you know, this fancy, you know, um, how can I put it? I, I don't want to say, I guess we're, we're not we're not building the, the flying car and, and <laughs> you know, the next thing that. Right. Right. It's it's just a really practical solution that's providing value on day one. And our users are, are going, wow, like what what did I do with my life before this? I mean, one of our guys said, I've been trying to get our software guys to build this for the last four years. And they just they just haven't done anything that that's meaningful, right? Um, we've had some quoting pieces, we've had this, but they just have not built what we've needed. And he said, I, you know, I've been in the industry for 30 years. And so what we're seeing also is that from a demographic standpoint, it's not, hey, just the young people that are using Airbnb and Expedia right. and all these booking type things. Oh, well, I book other things online, so now I can use this. No, we're seeing guys that are, you know, a couple years away from retirement going, hey, 
thanks for giving my life back, right? right? Like and Those are clipboard guys that aren't uh, tech-friendly. That's exactly right. These are whiteboard guys. We're right. walking in offices, and they have multiple whiteboards with, you know, different color markers just writing stuff down, right. and, and they're trying to track it. And then, you know, they're realizing, I mean, just last week we had somebody say, uh, one of our, our rental companies actually said, hey, can you go visit one of my clients? Um, they left a piece of pro- a piece of equipment on a project for three months, and they called me, and they were furious that they left it on the project for three months. It's not my fault they left it there, right? You I know, couldn't rent it. It was sitting there, <laughs> it was sitting there, right? Uh, but the client's thinking, "Hey, you know, I do a lot of business with you. I shouldn't have to pay pay for it." So we're solving a problem on both sides. Where now, um, this client of the rental company is is going to use our software to ensure that never happens again. They're going right. to get alerts. They're going to be you know, able to save money and not have to get in these heated, weird conversations right. of, I do a lot of business, don't charge me for it. Right, even though you couldn't rent it and make any money. That's, exa- that's exactly right. So now if somebody wanted to learn more, what's the best way to get a hold of you guys? Absolutely. Um, so they can visit uh, yards.com, that's Y-A-R-D-Z, that's, that's the important part, uh, yards.com, and my email address is jason at yards.com. And then ATDC has been good for you guys? Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I I like to give speeches almost every class or any, you know, roundtable that I'm part of uh, for ATDC and outside of ATDC because they saved me. You know, I've I've been funding funding the the company. Uh, They saved me over $200,000 in the first meeting that I ever had with them. Uh, We we were speaking to all these people, and we defined what we thought was an MVP, and we said, this is – this is it. Right. This is what an MVP we gotta is. Figure it out. We, yeah, right. this is as stripped down as we can get. And we sat down with Michael Sangbush, and he goes, "You guys, you guys are nuts. This is not an MVP. Let let me help you understand what a real MVP is." And um, we threw away all the quotes that we had. Went back to the drawing board, and even though we walked away with our tail between our legs, um, we felt like we learned something extremely valuable. And again, I, I saved a ton of money. We we have now position ourselves in a much better place. Um, and we've been able to leverage our, our dollars in a, in a better way as well. So, um, and Shane Matthews has just been so uh, integral in, in connecting us to um, potential funding, to different ideas, to different, you know, technology leaders. I mean, bo- both of them and, and Bill Hogan's a star when it comes to customer discovery. He will uh, strip you down, and and I'm a behavioral scientist academically, um, and so uh, that's what the, what I went to school for. And and uh, there were things that I forgot that he brought back up. Uh, and Leor Weinstein is is an awesome behavioral scientist, and and just amazing when it comes to marketing. I mean, the the team here is so solid. Um, if anybody's doing a startup, especially around technology, and they're not here at ATDC, they're really making a mistake. Well, good stuff, Jason. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you. Thank you for having. All right. That's Jason Perez with Yards, uh, Y-A-R-D-Z.com. Good stuff. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for being part of the show. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio. Radio.